0: In a time where the flow of information is constant, with competing voices in crowded spaces, where old school thoughts meet new school ideas.
1: But in this modern age, we are constantly having to recreate ourselves. To understand these identities, we need to decipher the culture. This is unconventional. This, this is, lounge is lounge academics. academics. Thank you very much you're free to the lounge academics pod- podcast that's the first one podcast i'm kj the first lounge academic don't forget on youtube you need to hit the notification bell to be notified of our next episode please do comment you know down below we really like to hear your comments and feedback on how you're finding the session and the episodes and of course of course of course if you've not done so already you need to make sure that you subscribe okay right all right, right so moving on moving on We have got a heavyweight in the studio yeah well she's not a heavyweight i mean she's quite small in size but she's a heavyweight in terms of character she brings a lot of energy right and a lot of color and do you know what um as part of the podcast we've been starting a whole focus a whole new series of talks as a part of our podcast mixtape and i'm very fortunate to have inam Bowonio.
0: Not bad. Not
1: bad. You Not see bad. that? Look at that. Do you see that? Look at it. I was waiting. I saw your top lip quiver a bit, but I got it right. You see that? I delivered. I delivered.
0: Not quite the African way, but no, it's, the okay. No, it's, it's okay. okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'm okay. Caribbean. We'll I will let you know. off. I'm, we'll trying, the no I'm trying the I'm trying to. tea.
1: Okay. <laughs> so before we get into it, let's kind of um, talk about your work, in them, right? So let's so. just frame and give the context, okay? So Inam is a British Ghanaian artist, right? 1980, is that what you want? Indeed. Oh my gosh. Same year. Nine. Oh, sure, I shouldn't have said that really. That's a bit live. Showing our age. But um, studied BA European Textile Design at Bradford School of Art and Design. She then embarked on a six year career in knitwear design in New York, but following redundancy returned to the UK where her life as an artist began. Passionate about elevating black women artists. She is also the creator as well as the founder of the Black British Female Artists BBFA Collective. And the collective serves as a platform to support emerging black women artists to build sustainable careers whilst working to advocate for more inclusivity in the British arts landscape. Welcome, Indeed. Inam.
0: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. You look very colourful. I like, I like the of blue and... Well, you Hina know, I thought I'd have to represent, you know, textile yeah. artists, yeah, background in yeah, fashion, yeah, yeah, you know, I've got to represent. It. I'm liking it. It looks good. It looks
1: good. So I know as part of lounge academics we always do this thing around talking about what's your topic that's sure. our main theme so we always like to kind of look at a particular issue or a problem that we may be looking to address and we often see our guests as presenting the kind of solution in mm-hmm. a way you know to that topic and issue okay. and i think most definitely this episode speaks to this issue around invisibility particularly of women within the arts landscape would you agree yes yeah so i guess it's about kind of addressing this and we know about the the collective that you formed in terms of addressing that issue yeah but before we kind of get into that let's get a bit of a background to yourself and where you're from and kind of your reference to art in particular so you know, you're a textile and performance artist. I know. I I made a big boo It was like performing artist, and in I'm like, slap me, you know, on my wrist, you know, through WhatsApp. But I know, I know. Obviously, there is a difference. But as a textile and performing artist, what what does this mean in context? What 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 does that mean to be a textile and performance artist?
0: So basically. Um I use the medium of textiles to create artworks. So my background is in textile design. That's what I studied, as you talked about in um, my bio. Um, And so I basically use those practices. So that's knitting, embroidery, weaving, printing, as well as like painting and the kind of more traditional kind of visual arts practice um, to create artworks basically. Um, And for me, I feel like it gives me much more scope in terms of, building a narrative, um, using really different mediums, Um, I'm really about tactility and texture Sure. Um, but also it's kind of inherent to who I am because I originate from the Epo tribe in Ghana and traditionally Mm. we're weavers and I remember when I was little, my mum taking me to a weaving village and that's kind of what burned my real kind of interest in this medium without me even knowing it. And it's something that i realized like kind of later on in life, like having studied textiles and all of this stuff that actually this was my path. It was always supposed to be this because that's who I am. It's part of who my DNA basically. Of course, totally. So, um, and it's interesting because performance in a way also lends itself to my cultural heritage and that we're also storytellers in our tribe. Um, well, a lot of African tribes have festival um, and dance and performance as a way of telling stories and kind of retelling the histories of our cultures so again it's something that was quite inherent to who I am and I found that I kind of took to it really easily um, because it's just it's part of me so so yeah that's, that's kind of what my textile and performance art Totally. Is.
1: <laughs> so there's a lot you know you carry so you literally embody know in terms of art you're embodying obviously you know heritage culture yes. you know rituals so yes. there's a lot yeah that, that that's played out in terms of your work actually yes and I know obviously that's not always been the case because I know for I've known you for a long time yeah I know <laughs> and when we initially met I know that it was through you you was in the scope of working in within education yes. when We initially met Indeed, so yeah. obviously you've kind of returned back to to kind of art having done it as part yes. Of your degree. Yeah, yeah,
0: no. So basically, um, when I moved back to the UK from the US, yeah. um, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And sure. actually, while I was still working in design in New York, I had started thinking about teaching and teaching art specifically. Sure. So when I moved back to the UK, I thought, actually, this I want to try. I really want to kind of give the youth that kind of passion that I have for mm-hmm. art and for creating. Um, and so, yeah, so I was working in education and thinking about kind of forging a career as a teacher. Um, And the thing with me is that I always like to um, do my due diligence. So I decided to work in a school before like applying for the PGCE and just try and get a sense of what I'm like with children. And, you know, because I don't
1: want to do your groundwork. Exactly. Exactly.
0: And I absolutely loved working with young people. Um, But what I found really challenging was the politics, the paperwork, the things that actually take you away exactly from working with young people and actually helping them kind of understand life and start to learn about themselves um, and develop their interests and passions. Um, and then also at that time, the um, co- funding for creative curriculums started to be scratched with the coalition government. So it was just like an uphill battle. And I realized that actually I'm going to have to figure out a different way to be able to work with young people. But I also really, I just missed making with my own hands. And I really wanted to kind of really try and forge a career for myself sure. as an artist of as
1: course. well. And I know to some extent, I'm sure we're gonna talk about it in a bit in a bit more detail, but yeah. I know you're kind of coming back to that in terms of giving back in the yeah. sense of coming back to th- th- those roots in helping young people and thinking about the future gener- generation of artists, yeah. particularly the next generation as well. So I know that's there. I just I just went to show everyone, check check. look at this. I, I, I was saying to Yes I said, you know, in, um, this is a portfolio, right, <laughs> and, a, and a slide deck of a portfolio and biography. I just think it's excellent. I just thought this picture so, it's cool, so cool. I just, <laughs> I just love it. You need to check out, I know I'm jumping ahead guys, right? <laughs> I know they're gonna give me stick for this, but I'm, we do this at the end, but you need to follow her on Instagram, it's so sick, yeah, yeah, images. And all your work is just brilliant. Oh, so, you know, you. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a total Inam fan, totally, totally. <laughs> so we know obviously, um, kind of moving on to kind of look at the, um, the Black British Female Artists Collective. Yeah so obviously there's an issue there what what why have you needed or felt the need to create this collective what are we kind of addressing here what are the issues
0: so i started kind of trying to exhibit and start a life in the arts around 2010 so i moved back to the uk in 2008 Um, and obviously the arts industry was completely new to me and i didn't really know how to start, where to go, who to get advice from. And so I was kind of learning as I went along, but what I found is that I couldn't really find the right platforms um, for my work on the audiences um, in some of the kind of art fairs and exhibitions that I was doing just didn't connect with my work, or at least they didn't once they saw me. Um, and then talking to other artists and finding that they felt the same, they were facing the same challenges and struggles, um, and I've always been someone that's quite proactive and I was like, you know, I want to do something about this. Um, and why not bring other artists together? And I just thought as a collective, we have a much stronger voice and of course. possibly we'd be able to kind of navigate these challenges and break down, you know, barriers and kind of break the glass ceiling by coming together. How, um, can I just
1: ask, you, yeah. how have you found that within the British, within the UK context, because, I was talking to Yaz a couple of days ago um, about this, actually, that I, I find that it's a real struggle to... The culture of collaboration, this has mm. just been my experience, has often been kind of non-existent yeah. um, in my experience. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's a UK-British thing, I okay. don't know, but I know, say, for example, in the States, I think what we're doing, as mm. even with the platform we're doing now and what mm. you're doing, I think there would be a totally different kind of response in terms of, 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 of collaboration. Okay. I know it may not be comparable in that regard, but yeah. I just think here, I guess there is, I've noticed there's a bit of a struggle or there is tension in collaboration.
0: I don't know, I think that's changing. Okay. I think that's definitely changing because especially within the art sphere, I see a okay. lot of artists coming together and working collectively mm-hmm. to, especially within the black art space and, and just artists of color in general. Um, So one thing I was going to say is that basically whenever I talk about the collective uh, or when I do kind of a presentation about the collective, I always start with the landscape of the kind of mainstream or Western arts industry, which is that it's very elitist, sexist, racist, and ageist. Mm. And for a lot of black artists, it's changing now because um, kind of the millennial generation are going straight into an arts career from kind of school, from graduation, but for the people wow, of my- literally, that's a big shift. Yeah, that's a big shift because shift. for um, artists such as myself, kind of the 80s generation, a lot of them either had to come to it later on in life because of pressures from family to do things that are much <laughs> yeah. more tangible. Yeah. I mean, even for myself, I had that conversation yeah, with yeah, the yeah, parents yeah, yeah, because yeah, for them yeah. it's like, ah, you're going to be an artist. How are you going to make any money? <laughs> Because and that's a part of the reason I set up the collective was that mindset because (laughs) there's no reference point. They don't see any black artists that are successful. Certainly not women either. So you know the artists that they know of are these old white men, and that's what's still taught in the curriculum to this day. Which again is an issue because if you're not seeing yourself represented, you don't see a space for yourself in the arts um, industry. But Art is intrinsic to who we are, it's part of our culture, everything that we do is artistic, so to say that there's no space for us is just ridiculous. Um, So I've kind of lost my train of thought now, (laughs) but um, yeah, no, so I kind of start off the presentation with that just to give a flavour of why it was so important for me as a person to do something about it. because. I found in researching the, you know, how to kind of put this collective together that in the 80s, an artist called Lubaina Himid put okay. together a group of um, women of colour artists and they did a number of exhibitions. So the Black Hearts group was quite prolific in the 80s um, and Lubaina met artists such as Claudette Johnson and Sonia Boyce sure. and they felt that they need to group together and form their own collective as women. Because they had very different um, issues that they wanted to kind of discuss and tackle within the arts realm. And so this had already existed. But I'm now okay. in my 30s learning about these artists. Why was I not taught about, about these before. artists throughout yeah. my arts education? That's hugely problematic. And that's still a problem now. There are still so many artists that don't know about these similar artists that really paved the way for us. Um, and, you know, they're starting to change. They're starting to get the recognition they should have had years ago. Lubaina Himidge won the Turner Prize, um, was that last year? Um, after how many years? After, is sure. yeah, yeah, exactly. She's yeah. in her 60s now. And it's She's like, why is it that they're only getting that recognition now, so later on in life? Frank Bowling only just got a retrospective at Tate. Um, So Tate has run a number of exhibitions for African-American artists. This is the first black British artist that they've given any kind of real platform to. Um, And everyone talks about Soul of a Nation, which was a fantastic show, but again, it was very representative of African-American artists. So why is there not a retrospective for black British artists Mm -hmm. when we've got fantastic art happening that's been happening here since the 80s and well before that? and so these are kind of the the kind of precursors to this age now where a lot of artists are coming together because they don't want to follow those cycles and the only way we can really affect change is by really becoming a huge voice that you know the western or the mainstream art world can't ignore
1: sure and in terms of because you said you noticed the shift you said there's definitely been a shift what do you think is i know you said things are slightly different now is that because these collectives are being formed you know because you're saying because i mean i just remembered being because i did we're talking my art kind of my art kind of career or studies stopped at a level okay. so I did art at a level yeah and for the very same reason as you said with your parents my parents yeah. are like, what, 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 where are you going to yeah. what's that going to pay how are yeah. you making money from this yeah. what an, an artist who makes money yeah. as an artist they're always broke they're yeah. always poor yeah that was always the feeling that I got whereas now you're saying that there's a noted shift in that artists are actually leaving graduating and going yeah. straight into paid
0: yeah
1: in into work and I able to actually earn from there
0: well, I, won't, I the... wouldn't say that they're going, they're, you know, <laughs> able to work. Whoa, okay. yeah. What I'm saying is that you finish art school and for uh, this younger generation, they are just paving forward and trying to kind of build a career within the arts. Okay. Many of us still, you know, have day jobs to fund your career sure. because until you get to a point where, you know, you're consistently getting commissions and consistently selling you have to f- have other alternative forms yeah. of income um, to sustain you in the meantime. Exactly, yeah, of course. and I think um, as black artists, there's always challenges to you know m- kind of bridging that gap or that shift, that shift change in your career where you get to a point where you can be a full time artist. Um, but what I'm saying is that they actually have the freedom to be able to do that, whereas when I finished um, college. Because I studied textile design as well, for me it was a case of I'm going to have to find a design job because if I turned to my mother and said that actually sure. I'm just going to kind of make art, it, yeah, I think I probably would have been thrown out the house or something. So <laughs> I hear you. More than
1: likely, yeah.
0: So, um, yeah. And to be fair, that's not. The, there were some. There were some um, artists who you know, even the time of 2001 when I was graduating, you know, tried to forge careers, but I think it was a lot difficult. Things are kind of starting to shift now because it's very much part of the conversation. And even though I hate this word diversity, because I still feel like it others us as people of color, the whole diversity issue has made it um, a thing that, you know, institutions can't ignore. It's on, you know, it's a buzzword across the arts industry as it is in most industries at the moment. Um, and while there's you know issues with tokenism and whether you know these are actual really genuine interests to actually affect change within the institutions um, it just means that at the moment there's a lot of opportunity whether that will last remains to be seen
1: so you you seem to be a bit cynical about that Um, just slightly just slightly I know that may not be the label that you would attach to it, but I, yeah. I, I think there's a, a reason to be to be a bit um, cautious and tentative towards this. Whose yeah. agenda is this? Yeah. What does it mean in terms of diversity? Yeah. How has um, the diversity agenda played out in terms of your career and your work? Would you say it's been adv- it's been advantageous to mm. you, or what? You know, what have been what how have you been? I positioned? think
0: it's certainly been advantageous in terms of the collective.
1: Okay.
0: Um, it's given us uh, much more space and people actually seek us out um, to be involved in projects. And I think for us, it's really easy to kind of see when we're approached, whether this is real genuine interest or whether this is someone that's tr- just trying to tick a box. Yeah. Um, but I think overall, what I will say since founding the collective is that it's been really well received across the board. Um, and I think that it's just like I said it just shows that we're at a stage now where things are starting to change and of course we're not going to see the real change that we want you know in the next few years this is you know it's about legacy it's about starting to build those foundations with the hope that you know in you know 20, 30, 50 years to come the artists coming up behind us won't have to struggle as much as we did and it will just continue to kind of you know get to a point where there is real equity across the board
1: of course and and at the moment what are the activities of the collective I know we broadly have kind of heard about the aims you know breaking through that glass ceiling mm. inclusivity you know um, looking at boosting visibility but in terms of these tangible kind of practical activities what, yep. what, does, what does the collective so do do that?
0: first and foremost it's about kind of supporting the collective members so at the moment there's four of us okay. and it's about kind of supporting um, each other um, to really build our careers sustainably mm. so that we have that longevity. Um, and then more broadly, it's about the support that we can give to others. So ideally we'd really love to set up an incubator program oh, cool. to help other yeah. f- emerging black female artists just learn about the world of art, the business of art. Cause I think that's something that you don't really learn at art school and it's really important to know, to be able to navigate the art world. Um, and kind of things l- such as you know branding yourself, all these things like social media that sure. have become part and parcel of you know your career, um, and it's also about working with institutions, like I said before. So that's both across the education and kind of the exhibition space to bring more representation. Definitely, whether that's us definitely. coming in and doing workshops but also, you know, hopefully in the longer term, being able to work hand hand in hand with educational bodies and with the government to really make changes within the national curriculum for young people to kind of, you know, see a more, you know, representational scope of the artists that are working and are successful. Um, And then also working with black women artists across different regions of the world because I think black women artists work at a deficit wherever you are in the world. And so by coming together globally, then we hope to affect change on a global Mm. scale. And that means that we all win. So that's a case of us doing cross-cultural exchanges. We did our first one in 2017 in Ghana. um, And that was a case of us working with um, three female artists from Ghana we had kind of a roundtable conversation, sure. learning about the challenges they face, kind of an exchange. And then we actually worked together to develop a collaborative artwork. And that was oh, part of cool. this street art festival. And then did like a, a talk as well, open to the public, how, about how, how women's kind of art. How was that documented?
1: Was that in terms of the festivals and stuff? How I take it photographs, image, Yeah, yeah, f- yeah,
0: yeah. F- photography and video. Okay. Um, and I think it was really beneficial on both sides. For us, um, learning more about the art scene in Ghana. Um, Two of us are Ghanaians, so we already Mm. had an idea, but just kind of building those networks. Sure. Um, And then also working collaboratively in that way was just in terms of our own arts practice was really developmental. Um, But then it was also really more importantly, it was the relationships that we built with these three female artists Mm. who we've continued to kind of grow our friendship with and support Um, and it's just really beautiful to see and we hope to be able to build on that more um, and do some further kind of cross-cultural exchanges and hopefully kind of bring artists from all these different regions that we connect with to the UK.
1: And I guess there's an element to, and for me, I'm thinking about, you know, what you said a bit earlier around education and affecting change in the curriculum and stuff. Yeah. I think there is a huge, I, I mean, we've been having this conversation, us as a people, yeah. uh, it's been in public, in the public um, consciousness for some time in terms of decolonising the curriculum and yeah. looking at making changes and, and what that looks, what does a decolonised curriculum look like? Yeah. But I think definitely these exchanges, I, I feel there's a real added benefit from those exchanges and how they could be used to maybe inform research as even as anecdotal um, action research pieces to kind of share the experiences which could be documented, which could be written about um, and and shared, you know, you know, widely for people to be able to access. And I think Mm. that would definitely dovetail with the the Attempt to kind of affect change in, in yeah. education, yeah. And yeah. I and I think these beautiful projects that are happening where these exchanges they need to be more widely accessible, yeah. You know yeah. and yeah. documented. You yeah. know, I know we had um, in the previous episode we we had Talika Kirkland from Kayad, yeah. Obviously, which it's the first you know institute looking at you know costume and African adornment and, yes. and, and dress, yeah. Okay, and documenting that and archiving that stuff and and generating research. Mm. And I think in much the same way, I guess in other art spaces, um, it's it's definitely needed.
0: Definitely, and that's something that, you know, we kind of voice a lot in terms of the fact that we need much more documentation Mm. of art by black artists. Um, And that needs to come from us. We need to own that narrative because for so long others have written that narrative. And it's something we talk about in the kind of exhibition space as well. When you go to galleries and the language that's used to talk about work by black artists and ethnographical works as well um, how they're represented I think that goes hand in hand with education because you have young people that go on these school trips and if they go on these trips and all they see is you know they'll go to the National Portrait Gallery and the only images of black people they see are the servants that are in the background, and painted basically to kind of showcase the the kind the of
1: power and colonial. The, the, sorry, so yeah, yeah exactly, sorry, me, yeah. exactly that the colonial <laughs> yeah. power. But a lot yeah. of the
0: time, yeah. especially when looking at female bodies, because again, for yes. me, it's all about women. It's like case of this is the white feminine ideal, and this is direct opposite, and as a little black girl looking at those of kinds course. of images, of which course. is then again kind of regurgitated in the media and everything course, around in you. Ways, yeah. Wh- how do you get that sense of worth and that sense of value? Um, and that's something that's really important to me and that I kind of look, research and, and explore within my own arts practice, this idea of value and mm-hmm. sense of self, which is important in the art scope in terms of so, how yeah. our work is valued, but also how we value our art which a lot of that has been dictated by the words that are attached to art, like primitive and tribal. And it's something that then becomes this idea of what the aesthetic of art by black artists should look like. And all of these things are really debilitating, but it's really interesting when you start delving into it, how all of these things interconnect and bring us to this present point here. Um, And you start to understand where, you know, this mindset comes from and this really kind of devalued sense of being which then impacts you know our communities and how we relate to each other both in terms of love in terms of commerce how we do business with each other even in the youth you know there's the ripple effect is yeah it's this idea of this generational trauma that keeps repeating itself um and that's something that w- only we can sure. really, kind of really be able to to overcome. And that I feel is by looking back and learning from the past to be able to kind of forge forward.
1: And and I love, I mean, I love the fact, a bit like ourselves, I love the fact that, you know, you're go-getters, you're not gonna wait for the solution to drop in your lap. You're right. gonna go out and forge your way yeah. forward. Yeah. And and I really admire that. And I, and I love that about the collective and your activities and, and your endeavors. I guess I always bring this up and I know sometimes it's a bit of a downer for some of our guests but obviously this costs money yeah. to do this and I'm yeah. assuming, could correct me if I'm wrong, yeah. but this is kind of a self-funded enterprise I guess in that regard in terms of funding your activities, obviously looking at the exchange that you did in Ghana, I know you've yeah. been to Nigeria recently yeah. as part yeah, of talks yeah. as well, Yeah. you know. So how, how do we, for these great initiatives, these wonderful, beautiful initiatives, that are out there how do we how do we make these sustainable? how do we fund these how do we invest in
0: so actually, our project in Ghana, we actually um, applied for funding from the Arts Council okay. and were successful. Well, it still exists, yes. the Arts Council, yes. yeah? Yes, 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 <laughs> it, still, <laughs> exists. it still exists. It yeah. still exists, it still exists. in funds, <laughs> you're lucky to get something. <laughs> There's actually a lot of kind of funding bodies out there. Yeah. Um, and the Arts Council for a number of years now has kind of had this program, the Creative Case for Diversity, which sure. is kind of leading the, the thinking behind the funding projects. Um, But for us, I think, as a collective and learning from the past as well, we don't want to be reliant on these funding bodies because, again, this idea of tokenism and the fact that, you know, diversity is a trend but at some point that well, is no going longer to, exactly yeah. flavor of the month goes exactly, doesn't it exactly and it's a new flavor and topic. it's yeah. really about us being self-sufficient sure and so a lot of it is actually kind of replicating the business models of you know institutions such as tate that run on patronage um so looking at ways that we can develop that um but really just thinking creatively and outside the, the box in yeah. terms of how we build our revenue um and it's also about Um, really building relationships within um, the black community especially the high net worth community because I look at African American artists and the fact that a lot of um, their sales come from the high net worth community and the African African American community so why can't we replicate that we have a huge community of high net worth individuals um, and I think the disconnect is the fact that they just don't see art as a, a commodity that would really bring any value Mm. but when you then look at the secondary market and see how art by black artists although yes it's mostly african-american artists and african artists but there is a real growth in that market um and so by bringing those two together i feel like that could really then bring a real shift change in terms of the value of of black british art
1: and I mean, I'm not very knowledgeable. I mean, the, the art space and commodities and looking at art and, 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 and getting gigs and that's fairly new to me. I must admit, I'm a novice in that area. But I was having this conversation with another previous guest before and Yaz was here with me as well, kind of talking about this. But I I guess as, as people of colour, as black people as well from the African diaspora, I don't know, I may be challenged on this, but. I find that we're not necessarily wired to look at art in that way as something of value, yeah. generally speaking, yeah. regardless of, yeah. you know, the Afri- it being um, produced by African artists or whatever, yeah. but regardless, it's often seen to not really have any value. Whereas yeah. if we was having this conversation with maybe, let's say our white counterparts and mm. maybe a totally different mm. um, conversation. Mm. Is it safe to kind of make those, that, that kind of judgment? Yeah, I mean, in, know, in, and in general,
0: and again, that goes back to kind of what I was saying before in terms of the fact that by not seeing yourself represented, sure. you don't see a space for yourself, seeing you know these arts institutions as very kind of elitist and exclusive and not yeah. for us. Um, but also the fact that for centuries, our art has been devalued in the mainstream art world. It has, you know, these tags of tribal and primitive yeah. that make it seem like it's not worthwhile. Um, sure. And yet, like I was saying before, like especially African art antiquities is probably one of the like most kind of lucrative um, art forms and sells for ridiculous amounts of money in um, the secondary in state, market yeah, in auction yeah. houses. Um, and right. again, none of that money is going back into the black community so i think it's part of you know our work is also about you know changing that mindset and and raising awareness exactly
1: totally and as far how long has the collective been running now since
0: 2015. okay yeah 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 four years
1: wow 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 and i guess as you've said, and this four of you as part of the collective now, yeah. is are there plans to kind of grow that membership? Yes. Um, and, and how and what yeah. was the plans for the future in terms?
0: Yeah, so definitely the idea is to be able to open up to more members, but again, it goes hand-in-hand with what you were saying about, you know, um, having the money to support that. Sure. Um, we'd like to get to a point where we have a team that can help in terms of the actual business administration and project management side of things. Um, and in that way then we have more space to be able to support many more members sure. um, and like I said again in terms of being able to then be able to roll out an incubator programme because again we'd ideally want to offer this for free because again a lot of the issues for um, for black artists is you're coming from low income families where it's really difficult to support yourself sure. um, and then that also becomes an issue for that exactly eyes, course, exactly yeah. so uh, and I mean it's the same for those that um, study I want to work in, in art as a profession in terms of like on the curation side or um, in the institutions and the fact that a lot of these kind of um, entry-level jobs aren't that very well paid um, if they're paid at all mm. so you know for a lot of um, black academics they can't afford to not to work for free of course. Um, so yeah. And that's where you then get this thing, this case of there being not that many black curators in the institutions, um, and there really Catch needs 20, to, it's a yeah. real catch-22, yeah. so really needs to, in, in order for there to be equity across the board in the arts industry, there, there really needs to be a real change and a look at um, how how they can provide access for um those that aren't coming from backgrounds where they can have the, you know, bank of mum and dad, like help support them while they're in these entry level roles till they get the experience to to move up in the industry.
1: And that's the thing, and it's becoming increasingly harder, I guess, with tuition fees going up, you know, the cost of living going up, you know, family, you know, we're finding that it's interesting because obviously I, my, my kind of area is in higher education. And yeah. we're seeing increasingly, as you said, students are often having to juggle yeah you know other commitments some of them are already parents some of them obviously need to work yeah um as part of that process as well and it can be very difficult and very challenging and Mm -hmm. obviously if you've got at the end of it that you know i'm not guaranteed (laughs) to get work then you know the balance is probability and stuff you know it, it makes it far more more challenging yeah so I mean, just something to raise here. We had a previous guest on, Chantal Rochester. Okay. So Shanta Rochester is a, a line producer. Um, film. Her her bag is film. Yeah. So she's produced the film that's gone up on a feature film that was on um, Netflix. Okay. Um, and she, her whole thing is talking about, you know, finance and how to kind of finance your film, yeah. where to get investment from and stuff as well. And what I found quite interesting, which was a bit sad, mm-hmm. was that she said, actually, a lot of her... The, the lot of the investment that she sources actually come from outside of the UK.
0: Interesting. Um,
1: Canada um, okay. was one area, yeah, w- was one place that she kind of referred to yeah. in terms of getting funding for a UK-based um, project or film. That's interesting. So I don't know, I just, just to put it out there as a talking mm. point or something to consider because I'm really passionate around these movements and the great work that's being done. But I do also acknowledge that, you know, we're not a charity. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: this isn't a community project. Yeah. So, so you're not giving back, you yeah. know, in that regard, you yeah. know, it needs to be sustainable. But I think there's definitely something to be said around looking beyond the UK where possible, you know, to kind of secure investment. And I think Seed funding, there's certain things that are available yeah. um, that I've heard, and this is what she was talking about. Yeah. But I don't know if that's relevant I mean, spaces. I think spaces. it
0: can present a challenge within the arts because for most regions, the funding that they provide is for that region. So for instance, okay, there cool. are a lot of funding streams in the US that you have to be a US resident. There are wider ones like the Ford Foundation okay. and those kinds of spaces where it's open to anyone. Um, but typically it can be quite difficult to access funding overseas unless it in some way relates to you know, the area or the region that um, you're applying to. If you're going to then be doing work in that space, then yeah, you can, okay. you can apply for funding. Um, but I think corporate sponsorship is another route. Okay, yeah. And that's something that we definitely look to. So, for instance, we just did an exhibition um, that was actually in collaboration with this amazing Nigerian art space called SMO Contemporary. Um, and that was... Is that um, the
1: High Commission? Did, no, is that something separate? Sorry. No, so okay. this was
0: here in London. It okay. was in partnership with the law firm okay. Hogan Lovells okay. um, with their Africa department. Mm-hmm. So partnerships like that can be really, um, really kind of helpful in terms of, you know, they helped us... Build a platform, you know they have an amazing kind of client base, um, but it was also just you know a kind of new audience that we were bringing sure. work to. Yeah, um, and so business and opportunities. Exactly, say, yeah, 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 exactly of exactly. That's um, good. So
1: kind of corporate those partnerships. Yeah, those yeah, kind of corporate uh, partnerships yeah.
0: and sponsorships. Um, um they they can yeah they can also be a solution um and it's just really building your network it's so important networking is so mm. so important in the art world just anyway as an artist um and it's something that it takes time you know a lot of um the kind of projects and things that have um we've done recently have been built on relationships that were started years ago even sure. before the collective formed so um, yeah, important. I can't stress how important that is.
1: Totally. And if you were to give advice to an artist, say we've got a young, bright-eyed, bushy-tail, aspiring artist, right? Yeah. Coming out fresh, graduating. Yeah. To go and to take on the world. Yeah. Um, of art. What What advice would you be giving them right now? What tips? Um, would you
0: give them? I would say. Don't be Don't be scared to just go out there and put something together yourself. um, I really, really, truly um, am thankful for the collective. Mm -hmm. Um, Just in terms of peer support, working with three other artists who understand the challenges. Um, we really lean on each other. And also, it's just the fact that by coming together, we've completely broadened our network because we each have our own kind of groups of, of um, networks yeah. and then coming together Because you all do different types of art exactly, as well. Exactly, and we meet the, very yeah. different people. Yeah. Um, so that has just been such a godsend. And I think it's a really, really difficult um, journey. And so having people that have your back um, and just to be able to have those conversations with that completely understand and can kind of help, kind of keep you motivated and empowered, I think is really, really important. So there's so many times when I've just been like, you know what, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. Yeah. Um. You've and had it's that. No, and yeah, exactly. And it's the collective yeah. sisters like, e, come on, you know. Yeah. So, and it's, you know, they always reminding me that this is, this is legacy, it's not just about us, you know. So I think it's really important to have those like-minded people sure. that you can kind of, you know, fall back on, but also you all support each other. Sure. Um, and also community is really important because um, even in terms of my artist studio, I think it's such a great space because there's so many different creators, but we all kind of come together and share. And is this share. kind of like a
1: collaborative co creating space? Or? So, yeah, so okay. there's a
0: lot of kind of artist studio spaces across London mm. um, and this particular one, um, I don't know if it's just the right people, I don't know, but there's just a real kind of community, kind of collegiate like attitude which I really really appreciate um so yeah I mean for a young person it's just it's perseverance it's yeah feel the fear and do it anyway I think that's something that I've learned definitely especially as I've gotten older I think I was kind of I grew up in a in a in a situation where you're kind of taught fear and so it's kind of trying to overcome that now um And yeah, it's like, when opportunities come, just say yes, my brother put me onto this. So Shonda Rhimes, she said she had a year of just saying yes. So you know what, you just say yes. Unless it's something where you know you could, you have that energy where this isn't right. Just yeah, just say yes to every opportunity yeah. and guaranteed you will learn something from it, be it positive or negative. Yeah. You just it's something that you just you learn and you keep growing yeah. through every opportunity and um, and network, like I said before, is so Very so important. important. Yeah. So important. Yeah.
1: So, you know, in as always, time is against us. Yeah. <laughs> time is against us. So, you know, we often ask our guests, you know, if there were two people that could be sitting you know that it could recommend or endorse that you would say you know what would bring an interesting perspective or bring an interesting topic into the lounge Mm. who would they be and why
0: okay so they would be my dear friend slash cousin and I say that jokingly so she's basically um, someone that I grew up with and you know in African families like your elder is your auntie so like, she's like my (laughs) cousin but whenever we go out she's like oh meet my friend I'm like oh I'm a friend okay (laughs) she'll kill me for saying that but so it's Chris Amwa and she is the founder of Amwa Designs, a textile design company that is absolutely fantastic but on top of that She founded Africa by Design, which is about... Providing a platform for okay. amazing design from African designers, so from the continent. Um, and since she started Africa by Design, or ABD, mm-hmm. um, they had their kind of inaugural event in Ghana. She again is she's from Ghana as well. Um, she's since shown at um, just Dubai Design Week, at London Design Festival wow. in Egypt. She's just really blazing a trail. And what I love is that you know it's about providing space for designers who wouldn't necessarily get that opportunity because again African design gets overlooked and again gets this idea this kind of labeling of you know this aesthetic that is kind of tribal and primitive and there's so many amazing designers making work that's also very sustainable Um, and she just really wanted to create a space for those designers to be seen and seen on an international platform um, and I just I think that's just so so fantastic. I'm so inspired by her because running your own design business is you know a headache in itself, let alone then creating this entity as well yeah. that's doing good for so many others. Um, and her brand is just beautiful, brilliant. and I'm saving my pennies so that I can get my house decked out in ABD <laughs> and, and more Designs. Brilliant, brilliant, And then the other person, again, keeping it in the family, okay. is my brother, Becco KG, who okay. is a f- holistic fitness instructor. He has been teaching for years, I think pretty much since I can ever remember. Um, and his 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 ethos is, is about mind body and spirit so okay. it's about the meditation it's about eating healthy it's about you know a, a uh, it's a way of life, basically. Um, he is the director of Budokon Yoga in the UK, okay. and Budokon Yoga was set up by Cameron Shane, and it's a martial arts form that ties in yoga, meditation, mindfulness, with grappling, with mixed martial arts, with capoeira, wow. uh, with taekwondo. So it's a whole like fitness system. Up the exactly, basically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but he teaches so many other yeah. other forms. Of of fitness Um, and he's just (laughs) well no but that's the funny thing is that he's just such a Peaceful yeah, guy because yeah. you know he comes from that place. Of course, so, you of know. course, yeah. So, but yeah, yeah you wouldn't want to cross him. No, no, of course not. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he's been teaching for years. He teaches internationally, all over the world. Um, been sponsored by. No, I have to get this right now. So I'm not going to say it because I can't remember which brand. But um, yeah, and yeah, he's absolutely amazing. I train with him, and yeah, he keeps me grounded. Brilliant.
1: Brilliant. We in them thank you. It's no it's been thank emotional. You so much. It's been fun. No thank it has you. Been fun. It just goes really it goes really It does. It really does. It it does, really
0: does. <laughs> but
1: thank you so much. No, thank and you. As always, you know, YouTube comments down below. Make sure you hit the notification bell to be informed of future episodes and of course, if you haven't subscribed yet, what are you doing? You need to subscribe. Okay, we had in them in the studio. Thank <laughs> you. This has been Lounge Academics, KJ.